Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. Welcome to another episode of the Insider Outsider Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the intersection of disability with diversity, equity, and inclusion, exploring how business leaders can learn from the experiences of people living with disabilities in order to lead with greater awareness and inclusion. Today's guests bring a firsthand perspective to this topic as professionals with a range of experiences in DEI and disability work. Our first guest is Karen Levesque, a product manager at Novant Health and co-leader of the Persons with Abilities Employee Resource Group. Karen is an above-the-knee amputee and a certified peer mentor with Amputee Coalition. Our second guest is Keith Blocker, a WMFTP FTP Global Consultant and an elected public official. Keith also brings a first-hand perspective to disability and ableism from his experiences living with a visual impairment. And our final guest today is Mark Havens, also a WMFDP FTP Global Consultant and the owner of Accessible Adventures, an organization designed to help people living with disabilities get access to outdoor adventure curriculum. Thank you, all three of you, for joining in today's important conversation. Sure, good to be here. So I just want to um, give each of you an opportunity to share anything else about your background that you want listeners to know or why this issue matters to you who wants to start keith yeah i'll jump in um i guess for for me you know i talked about it a little bit earlier um living with the disability for me helps helps me become more vulnerable in terms of the kind of support that i need i grew up essentially uh kind of a do 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 it all myself kind of guy but um when I, when I was diagnosed, that was kind of a sobering moment that just let me know, hey, is not only is it okay to ask for help, I actually do need help to, to accomplish certain things. Um, so when I think about kind of that tension between working in institutions or organizations and, and balancing that line between what, what is on me to, to advocate for versus what the organization or the institution can do, um, it's always been a challenge, even when institutions are are extremely helpful and aware um, they're what they're capable of doing in terms of creating access usually is limited. Um, budgetary constraints is, is one limitation amongst many or just simply put, they just don't have the resources to, to support. So oftentimes I find um, me just figuring out how to use technology is helpful um, when organizations are able to provide the technology and the support. That's great. Uh, but it, it really can be a challenge for organizations to, to really accommodate people with, with needs. But I think what's most important is just that, that communication, that level of engagement. And for me, just knowing that um, 
people are are trying to help, even if they can't help, that they are trying to help um, has always been really important. Thanks for bringing that in, Keith. And we might circle back to that. You know, what, how how is it to assert needs, and what what do you wish the organization would ask, or others, colleagues, leaders, and teammates would, would how would how would you like, and what would the support look like? Karen, you want to share? Well, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yes, Keith, I I completely agree. It's it's a challenge to to be your own advocate and sustain that for extended periods of time. Um, the fact is people don't necessarily know what they need until they know they need it. Um, and I've experienced that myself. I, I was, I found myself in a wheelchair for an extended period of time. And, and during that time I, I was working. So when I returned to the office, I hadn't given any consideration to how much I would not be able to get around and nor in my employer. And um, I think that that made us both face a really new reality. I mean, my new reality was this was the first of many times that I'd be faced with this. And, and how, how do I go forward? Their new reality was how are they going to manage the accommodations that I need financially and, um, and, and do it in a, in a manner that's not disruptive. So um, it's a challenge on both sides. And it's an unfair challenge, unfortunately, um, for both sides of the equation. I ended up leaving that organization uh, for that very reason that I, you know, the, the accommodations I needed were not going to be made available. Um, and, and that was a shame, but that is the reality. And, it, and it's sad because so many of us that are disabled have so much to offer. Um, actually, in a lot of cases, much more than other um, potential candidates because of the experiences that we've lived. Um, we've had to really learn to advocate for ourselves. We've had to learn to uh, find new ways to do things and smarter ways to do things. And those are really skills that are extremely valuable to employers. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that it's always perceived in that way. Um, so you have to learn to sell it. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a lot of confidence in doing that. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Uh, I noticed uh, a fact that um, individuals who experience disabilities are the world's largest minority, making up about 15% of the global population. And only about 17.9 or 18% of those folks are employed in the US in 2020. So, and that's down from the year before. So there's a, there's a huge resource talent base there that's not being tapped. Uh, Mark, you want to? Yeah, yeah, sure. And I, I think as an ally, you know, um, since 1973 and a professional advocate, and my maturity or my approach, that self-reflection of why, what's in it for me as a temporarily able-bodied person. Um, a, a great example, until I did this work, it didn't dawn on me around the, the business world, but I had a grad student who at, at Boston University who he, he placed, his day job was placing young adults with disabilities in manufacturing settings. And he placed this young autistic man at a manufacturing 
assembly line. And this young man was the highest producer bar none because he loved the repetition. He, it made him, he absolutely was, was loving it. And, and during the breaks though, he rocked, which was not uncommon for autism. And so, you know, being a helper, which you, you know, we advocates try to do, um, we brainstormed and we taught this young man to put headphones on during the break and lunch. And then he put the cord in his pocket and it wasn't hooked up to anything, but it looked like he was doing something that most young people do. And none of the, they wanted to fire him because it was making people uncomfortable. <laughs> soon as he put that on he was all of a sudden no complaints and the management of the company said i don't know what you did but this is phenomenal and of course our ego was that's what i did we fixed this scenario <laughs> and working at wmfdp and fdp global when you look at that historical that's the approach right but working with the insiders and it it just became really clear to me that well we didn't really do our work and that would have been working with the people on the inside to help them understand autism and not be afraid of a rocking movement that is just a habit and they won't right and then this kid young man wouldn't have had to put that on or if he forgot it um, and that's expanding that inclusive environment and so it 66 years old i i you know, i learned something new about my own ego or how to help people and and how to impact the culture and not just focus right make the person with the disability the focus so god it's great to just keep growing because those of us without a disability that temporarily don't have one mm -hmm. um it's in our best interest to grow too right so I've many of those examples have come up of I look at inclusion versus how do I help people with disabilities, you know, empower and all that stuff. So I'm waking up a little bit here. Yeah. Um the floor is open, conversation back and forth. Anybody that heard yeah, each other. That, that's a that's a great story. Um it makes me think about uh the things that that people or outsiders have to do or or give up because it makes the insiders uncomfortable. Uh, I have one thing that I've given up that that was really helpful, but it just it just started to make awkward weird situations. I used to carry a monocle around, and um, the monocle basically gave me twenty forty vision, which is not even as good as as you know the average person. Um, but I would find when I use it. Um, people would think I would look like a creeper just walking around, just trying to look at regular things <laughs> with my monocle on. Um, you know, it, it made people uncomfortable, like just standing at, at the bus stop or, you know, trying to look at a sign or, or whatever it was, um, I realized it. So I just stopped using it, um, which is unfortunate. And I just figured out how to navigate without it. But I, I plan on bringing it back because, um, you know, it, it, too often we focus on the the comfort of the the insider, mm -hmm. um, and 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 make the outsider do the correction to fit in. So that's that happens too often. Yeah, that's that's really very true, and it's 
yeah, with a visible disability, it's it's much easier to, for people to know how to interact with me. Um, clearly, you know, I have I have a a prosthetic, so they they're kind and open doors. And um, but with invisible disabilities, not quite so easy. I had a conversation with my daughter, my grown adult daughter, just a couple of years ago. We we were out shopping, and I have a handicap placard for my car. Um, so that when I go shopping, I can park in a handicapped spot. And there was someone that had parked in the last handicapped spot in that area. And they got out of the car and they walked into uh, the shopping center. And my daughter said, I just, I, I hate it when people do that. She said, if they're not handicapped, why are they, why are they parking in those spots? Mm-hmm. And I had to remind her, not every handicap, handicap is one that you're going to see right in front of your face. And is it going mm-hmm. to be? you know, just obvious. Um, There are still a lot of disabilities that are invisible that we as human beings just don't give consideration to. And, and it's, uh, it's gotta be extremely frustrating for folks that, you know, Keith, you're living with one. No one can tell looking at you that you're disabled. So um, that's another issue that we need to address is, society, not just in the workplace, just as a society. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm thinking about that too. Um, Keith, that, that you can't use a tool that's helpful for you um, because it makes people uncomfortable. And you're right. That goes back to what you were talking about, Mark, around educating the temporarily able-bodied folks um, on that so that and, and deal how do we continue to be more okay with our discomfort or our confusion um i was saying earlier i don't even know what to call this podcast necessarily you know it's written up in my notes as dei disability and ableism and you know is um is the word disability a microaggression um i was asking somebody else before a colleague of mine she said well it's about navigating um physical health challenges in the world or navigating dis- dis- differently abled and and you know that's another layer of of confusion or just dis- so what would you even suggest around that around the topic area or the, the the words that are helpful or not helpful just in terms of the general area of conversation <laughs> what do you suggest or what has not been helpful that you've heard yeah, I, I mean, historically, uh, you know, being an academic, I've gone through the evolution of pejorative words, and it changes, you know, but understanding history, you know, handicapped uh-huh. came from hand and cap, begging, right? Uh-huh. So just three years ago, I went to Chicago at one of our our white men's caucuses, and there was a label on the elevator, handicap elevator, you know, and I, I went and talked to the manager. I wanted to say, what is the, I'm not getting on that elevator. It's handicapped, must be screwed up. What's the matter? You know, but that doesn't help either. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, maybe, you know, accessible elevator or, you know, uh, the word, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, when you see, I still see it in the newspaper, the wheelchair bound man 
which gives me a visual of some guy taped to his wheelchair. People aren't bound to their wheelchairs. People do a marathon in one hour and 32 minutes and it frees people up to mobil for mobility. So language is important, uh -huh. you know, and I, to me, it's, you know, I, I've always tried to focus on, for example, Keith is, Keith is multidimensional. He's, you know, has all these relationships and, and he's just Keith, right? And not to minimize there's, his his vision can get in the way, but it's probably the most least important. And I I don't worry too much about the words, but but there is some right words, and you know, and challenging each other on them is important, especially just the context. Because again, and I'll shut up in a second. I I left academia because all we were taught in special ed was how to how to identify what problems kids had against the norm versus a faculty member told me I'm leaving because I want to look for the glimmer of brilliance in each individual. I don't want to do tests to find out what's wrong, you know. So that's that mindset of, you know, looking at, at what might be limited compared to some norm that I don't know. Uh -huh. So. Well, that's uh, the word ableism. They come from the assumption that everybody is equally abled. Or what, what, and your conversation about what the norm is. Anything you want to add, Keith or Karen, to that? Just around the words. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's obviously complicated and complex. Um, I personally, I'm not offended by the word disabled. Um, I, I do understand the the challenges and the nuance of it. Um, but right now, I, honestly, I can't. I can't think of a, a better a better term. Um, I do like. Uh, I think we should we should focus more on um, accessibility and, and access. Um, and I, I like the idea of focusing more on on the structures, um, things that could be changed as opposed to changing the individual. Uh, it goes back to that whole uh, concept of fitting in versus belonging. Um, when I think about fitting in, that means I have to do work to fit in. When when I belong somewhere, that means to me that means the, the organization has has created a, an environment, a culture where I don't have to do anything. I just belong, um, and and that's that's the challenge. But um, generally, uh, thinking about the word disability, uh, it, it doesn't trigger any huh. any uh, negative. Thing for me because uh, I, I know I know, I personally know I I am whole <laughs> you, know, you know Karen is whole a whole person you know no matter what, what we're not able to do we're still whole people um, so I, I I'm I'm offended by by the term disabled or disability in general yeah. And Karen, you you were exploring that as you named your group, your employee resource group, right? We were. We were. We struggled as disability seemed to be a negative word. And so our our group is called persons with abilities. And we initially named it persons with disabilities. And then we 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 kept the persons with disabilities, but in all of our written um, references, we had a strikeout in the DIS and the DIS. And then we eventually dropped the strikeout and just called ourselves persons with abilities. 
But now in an organization of 30,000 people, hmm. there's confusion about what does this group represent? And we've recently, as a matter of fact, been talking about going back to persons with disabilities just to kind of clear, clarify it. Um, because, you know, none of us in our group feel um, labeled as being disabled. We feel that that's just a, another another part of our um, our whole being. You know, I think that some of it is generational. And, I, and Mark, I agreed with what you said and that it really does depend on the context in which you're using the words too. Mm-hmm. And that you can use disabled to accurately reflect somebody who's who's got a, you know, some sort of a physical or intellectual mm-hmm. ability that's, that's, um, that's hampered or um, in my case, gone. <laughs> um, but I think that if you use it in the right context, in more, more cases than not, people will not be insulted by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, historically, a lot of those um, identification comes from funding, right? I mean, so uh, each school district has to count up the number of kids with disabilities to get funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that, you know, we had an integrated preschool kids, you know, pretty severely disabled, kids able-bodied at, at the university. And you notice, like anything, kids don't have words. You know, Johnny just moves differently. You know, I played with Alice today. You know, here's how she get plays the game. Yeah. So they don't, it's just, you know, again, we learn the words in order to categorize. And I'm sure there's the same evolution for many other areas of the dimensions um uh and you know like we've heard it's individual group as there's group identity that people have and every one of you are in individuals and i think what's unique is i i'm not joking with the temporary because a very small percentage of us are ever not going to have some kind of at least physical challenge and or intellectual or emotional or you know it's you know it's temporary yeah yeah and that may be where this uncomfortable comes from right is you know if only 17 percent of people with disabilities are in our workforce how often am i around somebody who who moves differently or reads differently or speaks differently or communicates differently. Um, And exposure is important, you know, and then I see, I get to know you well enough to know the least important thing is, is your amputation. You know, that's a part of you, who you are, and you're a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah. It sounds like there's some clear themes, uh, you know, similar to a person of color, feeling like that's all you focus and see on me or my gender or, uh, you know, my sexual orientation, there's seeing everybody as whole. And there's a way though, that, um, people just try to make differences invisible. Um, I'll just assume you're the same and that doesn't, that's not helpful either. So an ally, a person actually sees difference may be curious about it, but also, is not stuck in my own discomfort about how to call it or whatever in a way where I get at understanding 
how can we make the system accessible to everybody with differing abilities? And that's what you were saying, Keith, is let's let's get over what we call it and work towards creating systems that mm-hmm. are accessible to everybody. Uh, one one example of um, something that that was done for one particular group um, is curb curb cuts, right? Curb cuts were designed for to support people with in wheelchairs, but we find that curb cuts help ladies with strollers or men with strollers, um, people on bikes, skateboards, um, all types of things. So one thing that was designed to create accessibility for one particular group ended up being useful for so many other people. And another example of that is the the revolving door um, was designed for people uh, to create access. It actually is more energy efficient than a regular door. So when we do things that to to create access and to support um, particular groups, it, it ends up serving a greater purpose. I find that's true now um, with closed captioning as well. Mm-hmm. Realize I'd heard recently um, we'd introduced closed captioning through Zoom meetings uh, at Novant, and I didn't realize that a lot of um, people from the younger generations actually use that um, because they they've gotten used to multitasking and will read subtitles and do something else at the same time, listen to something else at the same time, which I can't even imagine at my age. Um, But yeah, that's another tool I think that was built for, you know, those with um, hearing impairments, but now it's being used widely by people that don't have hearing impairments. So I think there's a lot of situations like that. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is there anything you experience as a equivalent curb cut for visually impaired, Keith? Um, helpful that's that's happening out there. I mean, I, I I can't think of anything specific. I know, like when I go into uh, a senior facility and they have the big clock on the wall, I like uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I like big clock. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anything with big, large print, and large numbers is my thing. Um, but no, it's just interesting. Uh, I don't find a lot of things or large signs. I just assume that it just it just works well for everybody. Then I often hear when I use my big print, people are like, oh, I like that, right? You know, people mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. probably prefer print bigger, but sure, twelve font yeah. is kind of the norm, and we just tend to stick to it. That's the status quo. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I'm I'm amazed at, at hitting 60 almost and just the need for my reading glasses just to read any bottle of stuff. Yeah. Like where where's the idea to print bigger yeah. for all of us? Yeah. Well, and I think the other piece where, you know, again, sameness difference or or you know, being seen. I mean, I'm sure when Karen was using your wheelchair at the time, you you had to use that. You know what? If you ever go to a hotel and and they advertise as accessible, well, likely they haven't had someone who uses a wheelchair there. You know, and the and work environments, right? We do the. I'm sure some companies are great, some aren't, but you know, to have to be the ad, you know, to be the person who, 
you know, that's where I think we can all step up around if you're the, you know, oh God, here we got to do this for Karen. You know, that's where we can, you know, that's where we do need to be seen and we need, it needs to be tested and it's not a one shot deal. And, um, because I don't know how many, I travel a lot with people with disabilities and, you know, it just takes one trip because most every airport, every restaurant says they're accessible. And I watch my colleagues and it's an ordeal. It is. That's absolutely right. Bed, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's absolutely right. I, I used to travel a lot for work. Um, fortunately that kind of waned after, um, after I lost my leg, but I still did have to do some traveling. And it was a challenge to get into a restaurant to meet a client. It was a, a challenge to, to spend the night anywhere. You're right. Handicapped accessible hotel rooms, especially, are not designed for wheelchair users for whatever reason. <laughs> handicapped accessible, but that doesn't mean someone in a wheelchair. It means maybe somebody with crutches, um, you know, or even a cane. But um, not a, not at all for someone in a wheelchair. It was a very eye-opening experience. It really was. And so I'm aware of that now. I'm no longer in a wheelchair. I have a prosthetic, but I'm very aware of that. Um, and, and we've even had an opportunity to go to several of our facilities and do walkthroughs and, and look for things that, you know, given my experience now, I would know to look for that. Keith, I'm sure something similar would be true for you, but, you know, based on your own experiences, your perception of, of the world changes. And I try to be more sensitive to all the disabilities, visible, invisible, um, low vision and hearing impairment, because it's really important that you don't have to fight for that yourself. You're already, if you're new to this disability, you're already fighting to find your way back to your new normal as it is. You shouldn't have to fight at every corner. You know, the, the advocacy piece is really important. Um, nothing makes me feel better than when somebody puts a puts paper in front of me with large font and I, I didn't have to remind them to do it. Right. Or even when um, uh, at work activities, uh, when a colleague says, hey, let me read this for you so I don't have to pull out my big old magnifier and things like that. So mm -hmm. just having people step up is is really helpful. And the the pressure of always having to say something and then the feeling of of feeling like you're the problem <laughs> because you're bringing it up. It's so it's I mean, it's just like a mind. Uh, I got a bad word I want to say, but like. <laughs> To know like like you're not the problem, but you're saying something makes you the problem is is just crazy making. Mm. Sure. Because the general I think it again, I'll speak from the uncomfortable. Yeah, it generates that discomfort. So my my approach and certainly new construction, if we had a mindset of accessibility, is much less expensive than retrofitting. Right. So that's that systemic change of, yeah. you know, and it makes sense. We're an older, we're an older uh, population. Mm -hmm. So going in, if, you know, it's not to follow a law, it makes sense. Americans with this, you know, right off when, you know, you would think that would go right into the planning. And I think that's the big changes. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, if I'm a company, I'm going to go, listen, we're committed. And some are around the veterans piece. We're going to hire a thousand people with disabilities. So all of our uh, workplaces are going to be accessible. And that's a lot cheaper with that mindset than, oh, we got to retrofit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I know a leader in one of the a food company in Canada that she was helping with the reconstruction of their headquarters building in Toronto. And it was kind of a post thought that she's like, I needed to use an accessibility lens through this, just like I also could use a non-binary lens around all our renovations and, you know, people with light sensitivities and all kinds of gamuts. And there's a probably a whole sort of audit process that, um, you know, people uh, could sensitize ourselves to to really see um, through different eyes or, or or no eyes for some folks mm -hmm. who are blind, all of that, the whole gamut of that. I wonder if as a result of COVID, so mm -hmm. many working from home and now so many people with the prospect of returning back to work, you know, those with disabilities might be um, more susceptible to, to something like COVID. So they might not necessarily want to re return to work as, as soon as others. But for those that do, um, because of that, do you think that more companies will be looking at accessibility for people with the need, given that we've now gone home and we've said, no, I've been comfortable here. I had exactly what I needed and how I needed it. And now coming back, it's not going to be nearly as comfortable for me. And I don't want to do that again. You know? Yeah, that's an interesting I mean, yeah. one. Um, I, thinking about the travel time, uh, since I don't drive, um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm jumping in Ubers and I got I to gotta plan ahead to do everything. Um, so that just takes a lot of extra time. So personally, if I don't need to travel, I, I prefer not to travel. Um, so I, I think that definitely will impact people with disabilities. It's, it's probably been easier to stay. I know people like my visual disability is uh, I can still see, but I know people who can't see anything and the amount of time it right. takes them to, to, to get ready for work, to catch a bus, to get across town. I mean, you're talking about uh, four extra hours um, of, of, of work that other people don't have to do. To just to get back and forth to work. Well, and I believe COVID actually accelerated the employment of people with disabilities quite dramatically. And so the notion that now we're going to add that to your workload to get you right. I mean, there's there's people in Japan, severely quadriplegic, uh, who actually have jobs who, you know, run the the stick with their mouth for robots that are serving people in diners there's employment that we never thought about because of this whole virtual world so mm -hmm. um i think that the importance to if i haven't thought about it oh i didn't realize that keith geez i that's what i wasn't i wasn't thinking about that when i have to go back to an office you know, and that's the point is uh -huh. I don't have to think about those things on a day-to-day -day basis. So I might want to listen. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. That's where 
you know, wow. And you got to do your job. My job's easy. It's getting there. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. I believe if we oh. open up more remote work for individuals, mm. we'll have a much better presence presence in the, in the workforce. Um, those that are disabled will be much, much better presented. Yeah, this is possibly an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If I've set up my home environment to actually work well with me, and why would I want to go out and either deal with a whole another setup that's not working, or uh, I have to push, or you know, or deal with it, you know, half set up well. And as an employer, if you can have a really solid employee that merely requires to work from home uh, to support, you know, better accommodations for them, but they're still a solid employee. Why not do it? Mm-hmm. Right. And the, the only articles I've seen about going back to work are the ones around millennials are not going to do this or that. I haven't heard any of what we're talking about. And I think that's the point, you know, of how do we get this out there that, you know, here's an opportunity. And I think we still want workplaces to be accessible so that sure. you don't end up having to stay home to, because that's the, but it's how, how does it be a win-win? How can we create a win-win and redesign it? I think I remember seeing a fascinating um, um, national news on Walgreens opening up a whole fulfillment center of folks with mixed ability and, um, I mean, there's probably things about facility development and things that have been learned um, in different pockets of places. And how well are those shared? How well are those elevated, those best practices, those, you know, curb cutting um, pieces that are, you know, somebody said um, disability folks are the, are the original hackers. They've, you know, you had to deal with whatever tools to create to, you know, how, how, are, how much are we learning both in terms of um, folks doing that on their own, but also the systems and the organizations and the other able-bodied folks that have learned what works. Uh, it feels to me like there's an undersharing of, of insights and learning. Sure. Yeah. I noticed we have about eight minutes left. Just wondering what other things do you most want uh, listeners, leaders who are thinking about this topic um, to think about, to share, to um, reflect on anything else others want to put out there? How can they be better practicing inclusion around this topic and supporting employees they have with disabilities? I would say, um, be okay with asking questions, um, particularly mm-hmm. if, it's, if if you're trying to be helpful. Um, and it, there's times where you might offend people <laughs> with your question, uh, but when you get called out for it or, or called in for it, um, just accept it and and, and listen and learn. Um, people with disabilities are are trying to do the same thing everybody else is doing: is go to work, take care of their families. Um, and just want to be respected and appreciated and not not be devalued um, for whatever whatever uh, lack of ability we may have and and just take the time to really see what what skill sets um, and what skill sets people bring to the table to help improve your organization. 
And I think employers really need to focus on education within their leadership ranks um, so that leaders are aware of the value that a person with a disability could bring to the organization. And then once they're in, exactly how to treat them respectfully and recognize that, you know, there may some, be some nuances to the way that they they manage their day um, due to whatever disability they might be might be living with. But don't focus on that. Focus on all the other things and um, just educate them in a respectful way to, to um, interact with employees that have disabilities. Hmm. I I would just say it it works perfectly with, you know, the same leadership skills. It starts with courage, Hmm. right? Uh Is I have the willing to be uncomfortable. I got to get uncomfortable with that. And I I can avoid it or I can have these conversations where sometimes, again, my impact is not going to match my intent, but I have to be willing to be in that awkward place if I want to learn, because it's the same with our quadrants, you know, if I want to be consciously competent about different abilities, then I have to do the same thing. I need to wade in and practice and interact and I'm going to make some mistakes and Mm -hmm. um, develop those. I got to partner differently (laughs) with people who move a little different than me and it's going to be awkward. Mm -hmm. Yep permission to not get it right, permission to lean into more curiosity, more learning. How can I prioritize the learning over making mistakes? And mistakes are part of the learning. And, um, Absolutely, they are. And, yeah. you know, I think the, I know just in languaging, some of, you know, we're practicing some of, rather than using the word mute, um, can you turn your mic on, you know, which is uh, shows up in Zoom a lot. Um, my colleagues remind me not to use the word blind spot, which is, a you know, um, referring to blind. And it's, it's, a, um, it's part of the title of my TED talk, which um, I can't change right now, but um, it's like a, a learning opportunity. Um, and, you know, the, the, it's not about perfection, or whatever, <laughs> as you said. No, it's more about respect, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, and I just finally add that, you know, there's a, a willingness to really f- reflect on what's what makes me uncomfortable to go deeper there. Is it mortality? Is it, you know, uh, uh, it, you know, it yeah. makes me uneasy about my own self-image or body image or. And lo and behold, what I've learned is the more I interact, the more optimistic I am because I see people who, you know, are living rich, full lives, right? Versus, oh my God, I could not be able to use my leg. That scares me. I want to avoid thinking about, you know. So there, there's this is a little deeper sometimes because we all, you know, uh, you know, have this is beyond some maybe some of the other dimensions. Is all of us are gonna uh get challenged you know physically i don't know i mean we age yeah i never thought of it that way mark but i think that's really true so what's going on there and even if it doesn't happen to us necessarily it will likely happen to someone that's very close to us you know a loved one someone in our world that sure we interact with 
on a daily basis, somebody support or that supports us. Right. Sure. Sure. And, and to uh, just make sure, just one last thing is mm-hmm. make sure we don't put the burden on, on all the burden on people. Cause again, you're, you often probably have to default to, Oh my God, they're uncomfortable. How do I make them not so uncomfortable? Oh my God. They're really feeling queasy about that. You know, like, Shit, that goes right along with it. That's a heavy yeah. word. Especially children. And yes. those are the ones that are easiest to, to work with and to deal with. You know, it's the children. <laughs> they think I'm a robot. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Can I touch that? Yeah, yeah. Where'd you get that? All my little granddaughter, all my little granddaughters, uh, friends at daycare run over to me when I come in just to see what kind of cover I have on my leg today. They don't. It's a shame that adults do. Yeah. And that's a that's a key message, I think, is stop prioritizing our own comfort level um, over everything else, over learning, over enabling, over uh, challenging the system, um, educating each other. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I think of is time, you know. Um, the times that I've told people, let's take a quick five-minute break. Really, is that enough time for anybody? You know, and if I'm navigating a wheelchair in a wheelchair, what time do I need? Or I, I can't see f- fully without aid, or I need some sort of time more for that. It's actually beneficial for everybody not to be in such a sense of urgency, which is part of our dominant culture as well. So, really appreciate um, you. Karen, Keith, Mark, three of you for your wisdom, for your sharing of your experiences and for your your hearts and passion around this topic. Thank you for joining. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFTP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.